Luke 1, 26 to 38, says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So I've got good news and I've got bad news. <laughs> Which sounds like a setup for a joke, right? I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is that we are going to talk about Mary bearing Jesus. The bad news is that it is indeed a setup for a joke. I haven't even said the joke yet, thank you. Carl and Will have been good friends for a long time. Carl and Will have been good friends since they were young boys playing baseball in Little League together. And so they developed this love of baseball all throughout their life. And even though they couldn't continue to play because they were uh, too old and they lived together in this retirement complex, even though they couldn't play together anymore like they used to, they continued to follow the game religiously going to as many games as they could, all the way from Little League on up to the pros. So Carl and Will loved baseball. So they're at a game one day, and Carl leans over to Will, and he says, Will, do you think there'll be baseball in heaven? And Will looks up at the clouds wistfully and says, I sure hope so. Well, a few days pass, and uh, so does Will. There's more to the joke, too. <laughs> You're like, there's better be. So a few more days pass, and Carl is sleeping, and he's awakened by this familiar voice of his friend Will, and Will says, Carl, wake up. I've got good news, and I've got bad news. <laughs> and Carl says, lay it on me. Will says, the good news is we play baseball in heaven. Carl says, great, what's the bad news? He says, we play next Thursday, and you're on to pitch. <laughs> uh, you are pathetic people. <laughs> I'm the pathetic person who told the joke. 
You ever receive news? Ever receive news you're not sure what to do with? Is this good news? Is this bad news? There are a lot of those kinds of moments in our lives, frankly. News that we know is going to be a life-changing piece of information for us. Life-altering news. Not sure if it's good, not sure if it's bad. You know this changes everything, but you're not exactly sure how. This happens all the time in our lives. Maybe the boss stands up in a company meeting in front of the whole company and uses one of those business buzzwords that you know instantly creates all sorts of questions, but not a lot of answers. A buzzword like restructuring. Maybe you've had your dad stand up and say, my company is changing my job. And in order to keep it, we've got to move halfway across the country. Maybe it's that moment when the, when the doctor walks in and says, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Maybe like we just read for Mary, it's a moment like Mary experiences in today's passage when you learn you're pregnant. When you first hear those words, you in a moment realize everything's changing. And yeah, it's good news, but it's going to mean a lot of work. You realize in that moment, you can't possibly account for all of the exigencies, all of the the complications, all the factors and questions that you don't have any answers to yet. And when we receive news like that, it's what we're calling today a what-if moment. Because it's the kind of moment, a what-if moment, that can decide for us whether this is going to be a moment of of disbelief what-ifs or of dreams of faith what-ifs. Because usually when we receive news like that, we instantly know everything's going to be changing, but we're not sure why, not sure how. We start asking all the what ifs, like what if I can't get a new job? What if I can't make new friends? What if I can't find a house? What if I can't pay the bills? What if I won't be healthy again? What if I can't take care of this baby? What if, what if, what if? Friends, oftentimes, these what-ifs for us can be paralyzing. They can be paralyzing in our lives. You can imagine that these were the sorts of questions going on running through Mary's mind when she receives the news that of all things, this isn't just a job change. This isn't just a change in location, a new house. This isn't just whether or not I pay the bill. You're being asked to bear the Son of God. This was a big deal, and Mary knew it. And this was a moment, right then for Mary, of all the moments in her life, this was a what-if moment that very easily could have kept her from moving forward to do what God had called her to do. This could have been a moment where she said, well, what if this? What if that? What if? What if? It could have been a moment where she responded with questions of disbelief instead of dreams of faith. We'll tell you more about what that means at the end here. But it is just this kind of moment, this what if moment, where Luke sets the tension in the story. Young Mary may not know all the implications of the news that she was receiving. She couldn't possibly at her young age. But how she responded is wonderfully instructive for us. She responded with the faith that God would provide everything that she would need for her mission. Let me say that again. She responded with faith that God would provide everything she would need for the mission of good news to which he was calling her. Let's see how this plays out. Jump in at Luke 1, 
Luke 1, verse 26, where we'll start here in this passage we just read. We're going to spend some time going phrase by phrase, understanding how Luke develops this theme throughout. Look there at verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Now, it says in the sixth month, even though this passage that we read here, that we're going to look at here is, is ostensibly, it's, it's explicitly about Mary receiving news of being pregnant. Luke begins here by referring back to Elizabeth's pregnancy. We know that in the sixth month here is a reference to Elizabeth's pregnancy because of the immediately preceding context, what came before, and also because in verse 36 of what we just read, Luke says outright, this is Elizabeth's sixth month. So he's making here at the very beginning of our story a connection between what came before and Mary's story. In other words, a connection between John the Baptist's birth and Jesus' birth. The connection continues in the next phrase, in the next In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. He's reminding readers, remember I was just talking about angel Gabriel. Let me me remind you of what happened here. That's what Luke is saying here when he says the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Earlier in Luke 1 here, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. Zechariah was Elizabeth's husband and John the Baptist's father. And the angel Gabriel had told Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a son, even though she was way past childbearing age. Verse 36 calls her barren. So upon receiving that news, Zechariah is, to say the least, skeptical. Now, if you're following along, look back at Luke 1, 18 and 19. This is where we see Zechariah's response. This is part of what Luke wants to remind us about in talking about Mary here. Zechariah says this in Luke 1, 18, as he hears this news of his wife being pregnant. He says, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. On the face of it, this seemed like a, a reasonable question, but as we dig in further, we'll see that he was actually responding in some disbelief. And of course, Gabriel, in response to Zechariah, says, Duh, you big dork, you'll know when she's about ready to have a baby. That's how you'll know, right? Actually, that's how I would have said it if I were Gabriel, but that's not what he says here. He does, in fact, though, say it with a bit of a a confrontational tone. I'm not just trying to be funny. He says it like, "You're, you're you're not hearing me. Listen, look at this, verse 19. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So Zechariah is skeptical when he hears this news. And so Gabriel basically says, listen up, buddy. First off, I am an angel and you are not. Okay, let's establish some facts of the matter here. I'm a supernatural being and you are not. Okay, we got that straight. My name's Gabriel. I'm only one of two angels mentioned in the whole Bible. I'm an archangel. I'm in charge of angels. So number one, I'm an angel and you are not. Number two, I live in the full on presence of God. Like I stand in the presence of God where you, my friend, would melt into oblivion. We got those two facts straight because first off, on the first two counts, I'm way cooler than you are, okay? So that's effectively what Gabriel is saying here. But he says this, thirdly, and most importantly, he says, God himself sent me here to bring you good news, to bring you this good news. So are you going to listen to me or what? That's what the angel Gabriel is basically saying here. You're doing a lot of this, and I need you to do this. 
You're still stuck on all the what ifs. How's this going to work? How so? But why? What if? <laughs> and then with in a brilliant, brilliant move of God slash the angel, with much more than a smidge of irony, Zechariah suddenly is unable to speak. So Gabriel's like, what now, smarty pants? Now, I'm not just trying to be funny. This is, the, this is the setup of the contrast that Luke is making here between Zechariah's disbelief and Mary's belief. So when he tells us in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God, there's this whole backstory that helps contrast what happens here for Mary. So verse 26 says this. Jump back into our passage here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Then it says, verse 27, to a virgin betrothed. To betroth is a fancy old word that means a public oath to be married. They're not quite married yet, but they've made a public promise to one another, meaning that there's no making babies. Capiche? I'm like, there's promised, but not married. No baby making. Got it? All tracking? Verse 27, Gabriel was sent to a virgin who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, meaning he was a Jew from the line of David, a prerequisite for the Son of God. And the virgin's name was Mary. So Luke has set up the characters. He set up the, contact, contra, uh, the context for us. We've got an angel that's appearing to a virgin who is betrothed to a man who was a Jew from the line of David. So he's setting this up for the conflict that begins to ramp up here a little bit in the coming verses. Listen to what Gabriel tells Mary in verse 28. Power-packed phrase here. He came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Three phrases there. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. When he says greetings here, it sounds on the face of it to us like a regular old greeting, salutation, hi, hello, how you doing? I acknowledge your presence. But it's probably a lot more than that here. The angel is basically saying, rejoice, be glad, give praise. That's what this sort of greeting means. Because this greeting is a wish for Mary's happiness because of the news that he is bringing. That's actually behind the word greetings there. I'm bringing you greetings because of what you're going to be experiencing. This is good news, so rejoice. Luke doesn't use, in fact, the word he normally uses for a general greeting, which is peace. He uses a word greetings here that's in the wider context to talk to us. Luke does this intentionally about rejoice and praise that happens when good news comes. You can check me out in Luke 1, 14, 47, 58, and 210. Bereans. Luke 1, 14, 47, 58, 210. It's real cool to, to look up some of that, to check that out. So long story short, the angel is saying, rejoice, give praise. Now he says, second phrase in the middle there, O favored one. He says, O favored one. He doesn't actually call her Mary. He calls her favored one. In a sense here, Gabriel has effectively sort of temporarily, temporarily renamed her. Listen to how one commentator says it. Favored one here functions as a name for Mary, designating her as the object of divine 
benefaction, meaning God's favor, God's blessing. God has chosen her to be favorable to her, to give blessing to her. So he says, you're so blessed, your name might as well be favored one. That's sort of the sense behind why the angel calls her that. So we have, give praise, rejoice. You are blessed and favored. And it says, the Lord is with you. The third phrase. This phrase is used throughout scripture to basically say, what you need, God will provide. The Lord's with you. All of the internal and external resources you need, God will provide. And the context here for Mary, the angel saying, everything you need to do what I'm going to tell you God wants you to do is going to be provided for you. <laughs> Which is a good thing because at this point in the text, she doesn't really know the specifics of that yet. She just knows that an angel shows up and says, give praise. You are blessed and favored. Everything you need will be provided for you. So that sets the tone for what keeps happening here in the text. So verse 29 is her response to the news from the angel. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Here's the tension of the text that Luke sets us up for here. Is this good news? Or is this bad news? An angel comes to her and says, hey, God wants you to know you've got this. <laughs> At which point she says, I've got what? Like, oh, I, I, I should rejoice and give praise. I'm favored. The Lord's with me. Or what exactly? So, so she's greatly troubled at the saying, trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She inevitably has all sorts of questions. This is a what-if moment for her. And like any of us, when confronted by an angel, my first thought, and hers too, is like, so am I in trouble? <laughs> am I in trouble? You ever had the principal walk up? I mean, not that I ever have. But you ever had the <laughs> principal walk up to you in, in, in middle school, perhaps? seventh grade, and say, hey, Wakefield, let's go have a talk. Even in middle school, that was enough for me to pee in my pants, really. <laughs> I also had an experience once, you ever had something like this, and this was one of those experiences that's just like that, that made me feel that same way, greatly troubled. One time I was approached by a couple of men who were in black, wearing black suits, dark shades, and holding up a, a shiny cylindrical tube about the size of a cigar with a red light on it that erased my memory. 90s movie reference. Just kidding. They were actually holding up ID badges. They're, they're FBI badges. And they come out of nowhere and they say to me, looking all official and scary, walking up to me saying, we need to talk to you. Like, at 35, it was enough to make me pee in my pants. <laughs> Turns out, of course... They were just doing background checks for a friend who needed uh, security clearance. But I got to tell you, when those men walked up, I was greatly troubled. My first thought was, I'm going to jail forever. <laughs> and, and, and that's the sort of pit in the stomach you get when, let's be, let's be real, an angel comes and says to you, give praise. You've got this. The Lord's with you. Is this good news or is this bad news? For Mary, this is the what-if moment. 
And she was greatly troubled at the saying, trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So Gabriel, keep reading, verse 30, he reassures her. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Now listen, all over the Bible, angels have to say this. (laughs) Which, if you think about it, makes sense. The appearance of an angel doesn't freak out two categories of people, babies and insane people. Everybody else, everybody else should be scared at the appearance of an angel. So when an angel appears in the Bible, they have to say, it's okay, chill out, don't be afraid, it's going to be all right. Now there's some of that in the text, but at this point he's giving her reassurance because he's answering a little bit of her what ifs here. Read on there, it says, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. He is speaking more about Mary's concern for the what-ifs here. He doesn't say, do not be afraid, I'm just an angel, I'm not going to hurt you. That's what angels usually say. (laughs) Here he says, do not be afraid, for God has chosen to bless you and to provide everything you need. That's a little bit different tone, isn't it? Don't be afraid. You've got this because God's going to be with you. You have found favor with God. He's reminding her, remember, your name is favored one. You've got this. Now at this point, (laughs) she still feels like, okay, got what? And if I'm Mary at this point, hearing what he's about to say in verses 31 and following, I'm thinking... What you're asking me to get, I ain't going to get. This is, this is a real leap of faith here. Listen to what he says, verses 31 and following. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Red flags, questions, I'm only betrothed. How is this going to work? What ifs are everywhere, at least in my mind. Still betrothed, let's remember that. And you shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves. If I'm Mary, I'm thinking naming my baby God saves sounds a little drastic to me. He will be great, again, maybe a bit much, and will be called the Son of the Most High. Wait, wait, wait. Whose son? And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, at which point, if I'm Mary, I'm thinking officially this has become crazy talk. It says, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. At this point, I'm listening to this angel sent from God, and I'm thinking, you've just said about five things, all of which in my world border on insanity. Which means it's the kind of what-if moment that would send most packing. It would have sent me packing. It It would have put me into a place of saying, you're not an angel sent from God, you're something else. But look at Mary's response in this what-if moment. Look at verse 34. She just asks a a logistical question. How will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? At this point, I'm not just skeptical about this angel. I'm saying this angel is something else. Catch my drift? Because this whole thing is crazy talk. But Mary simply asks, how will this be? Now, this isn't, this isn't disbelief. This isn't disbelief 
but merely a request for an explanation. Important distinction here. And here's why. Luke puts this in the text here. When Zechariah got the news about his wife bearing a son, though he was barren, he said, how will I know? He asked for a sign because of his unbelief. Jesus would later condemn an entire generation that asks for a sign because of unbelief. We also know this because of Luke one twenty later on in the text of Zechariah's response. But here, Mary just asks for a logistical question. <laughs> She's basically saying, okay, I believe you, but it does seem a little bit, about, a little bit beyond my ability to carry out physically if you understand me. So just one point of clarification, since I am a virgin, reasonable question. Uh, God matches that faith with a reasonable explanation. Keep reading. Gabriel says this, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, God will provide all the internal and external resources needed to make this happen in ways that you cannot. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. You do your part, God will do his part. He'll take care of the details you cannot. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. If he has done this with her, he can do this with you. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. God made the impossible happen. That which seemed impossible happened, which is why he says, verse 37, for nothing, if he can do it with her, he can do it with you. For nothing will be impossible with God. If he can do it with her, he can do it with you. If he can do it with her, he can do it with you. Mary said, behold, This is her response in this what-if moment. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Humble, faithful submission to God's call. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. As you've said, let it be to me. And the angel departed from her. Mary responded in faith and without reservation. Instead of the what-ifs, Mary's trust and God's provision meant that her response to this life-changing news wasn't disbelief, but faith. God was asking her to join in his mission of bringing good news. And, And she said yes. Friends, if this humble 13 year old girl can respond in faith to God's call to join his mission of good news, so can we. Now I want to ask a few of you to do me a favor for just a quick second, just a few seconds. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird uh, other than just stand. Nothing too scary, not calling you out or doing anything weird. If you are here today and you are between the ages of 12 and 15, can you please stand for us? 12 and 15, there we go. Between the ages of 12 and 15, just go ahead and stand. Take a look, all you old people. Most folks think that Mary was probably 13-ish, somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15, when she received this news. 
There was no possible way she could account for all the contingency involved. All the contingencies, all the questions, all the unanswered uh, exigencies of the, the context at hand. There's no way she could account for that. She wasn't old enough to know what kinds of questions to ask. All right, you all can sit down. Thank you. Friends, if a humble 13-year-old girl can respond in faith to God's call to join his mission of good news, then so can you. Because, friends, we have the same assignment as Mary. Hold up on that, please. We have the same assignment as Mary. And we've been given the same resources. Which means responding as she did. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now we can put it on screen. (laughs) Here's what we're talking about, friends. Faith in God can turn your what-ifs from questions of disbelief that produce inaction into dreams of faith that produce growth. Faith in God can turn your what-ifs from questions of disbelief. Because let's be real, many of us who are adults who think we have to know everything before we make any step of faith or any sort of forward movement or any sort of anything beyond where we currently are. Are we tracking? Faith in God can turn your what-ifs from questions of disbelief into dreams of faith. Because questions of disbelief, for many of us, keep us from moving forward. Let's be real. Adults who require every piece of information possible on the planet that you can't possibly actually already have until you make another decision. Faith in God can turn your what-ifs from questions of disbelief that produce inaction into dreams of faith that produce growth. Nothing will be impossible with God. Just imagine what God could do if your response in those what-if moments, went from disbelief to faith. If your what-ifs didn't have to always be disbelief, but could be a dream of faith for you personally, what could God do with that kind of faith in your life? What if you said, finally, finally, you said yes for the first time to God's mission of good news to you personally? What if you said yes to that? What could God do for you? What if instead of sitting on the sidelines, you joined this church, you got baptized, you said, I want to be a part of a family of God where I can grow and produce fruit and become who God created me to be? What if instead of letting others serve you, you found a place to serve? Listen, God didn't bless you to become a discriminating consumer. But he blessed you to become a grace-filled contributor. A whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people have a lot of knowledge, a lot of wealth, a lot of information in them, in their context, in their lives, so they can be discriminating consumers as opposed to grace-filled contributors. What if instead of giving into fear, you joined a life group and developed some relationships with other believers in the body who were there to support your growth and encourage you? 
What if instead of using your resources to please self, you learn to give more generously? What if instead of watching your spouse or your kids get involved uh, while you just sort of come along for the ride to keep the peace, you stepped up and got involved as well? What if, if you're a mature believer in Christ and you have all the resources needed, you reached out to the coworker that you know needs Jesus? Those are what ifs that can be dreams of growth and faith. Because when we turn our what-ifs from questions of disbelief that produce inaction into dreams of faith that produce growth, then we have joined, like Mary did, we have joined God's mission of good news. We have become part of the kingdom of God bringing good news. We've said yes. We've said yes to the forward advance of the gospel in our lives and the lives of all those around us. Now, friends, this, <laughs> this certainly doesn't mean uh, that the mission of bringing good news is going to be easy. In fact, if you're struggling with the pain of being faithful to the call of this mission, then that means in some sense you've actually embraced it. If you're not struggling with it, then maybe you've embraced a different mission. But if you've embraced God's mission of good news, I have more good news for you. <laughs> you don't embrace that mission in isolation. You don't embrace the mission of good news to the world in a vacuum. You do not embrace the mission of God alone. You are not in this alone. You are surrounded by brothers and sisters, a family of believers around you who has likewise embraced this same mission of good news. And God, friends, has provided everything that you need to accomplish that mission. So we can stop giving in to the what-ifs and the but-whys and the how-sos that are contingencies that you can't possibly answer anyway. Let me ask it this way. Was it good news for you that Jesus came? Was it good news for you that Jesus came? And if so, then live like it. Let's pray.